0: Creativity. It starts out being something we just kind of do in school or at home as a kid. We make stuff. We tinker. We try. We mess around. But sooner or later, it becomes a thing we recognize that we do. Or maybe we believe it's something that we possess or one must possess like a gift from the muse. Regardless of the truth or the misconceptions, creativity becomes this named known thing A part of you or a part of somebody that you admire. It's a thing to pursue. And so we find tiny pockets to pursue it throughout our education. A class here, an extracurricular activity there, and then we graduate. And for many of us, the paint by numbers approach that was our education gives way to a blank canvas that is our careers. And it's right there, I think, that a ton of fun can begin. Start a blog, a newsletter, a podcast, a video series. Build a community, a meetup group, an association. Start a company. Design your career. In your work, you can create. You can use that creativity. And it doesn't need to stop the moment a bell rings or a teacher says pencils down. Those days are over. The rest is up to you. It's fun. It's exciting. It's energizing. Or it should be. Because along the way, we encounter so Many obstacles. And it turns what used to be enjoyable into something stressful. The very thing that we used to love, that used to give us energy, might be the thing that we dread and that drains us. Sure, even during the tough times, we think the work really does matter, but we start to question it, to wrestle with it instead of dance with it. Now, some of these problems are external. The boss, the client, The budget, the time, the team, the tools. But if we're being honest, most of the obstacles we encounter are internal and personal. I call those maker monsters. this episode we explore our maker monsters which we wrestle with and either befriend or defeat in order to ship more and better work maker monsters creep in at the least opportune times they drag us backwards hold us down or else somehow convince us that we're doomed or done and of course they fill us with self-doubt and other terrible feelings we all have them we all struggle with them and oftentimes when one monster stops being a threat Another shows its hairy, horned, horrifying head. So, bringing you something a bit different this week, we've asked some generous creators to share some of the maker monsters that usually hide inside their minds, hearts, and processes. They're going to drag them out into the light and help us learn from these monsters and from their time spent wrestling them. I hope this inspires and empowers us to overcome our own maker monsters, and I hope, at very least, if you're struggling with one right now in private, it helps you feel seen. It's time to face some maker monsters. dark, it's scary, but then it's fun again. It's unthinkable. Stories of creative people who challenge conventional thinking with their work. I'm Jay Aconzo.
1: Honestly, I I get really paralyzed by
0: imposter syndrome. <laughs> I have a lot of great ideas, a lot of really ambitious things for my creative practice and my business and my life in general. And sometimes I just I just stop and I have these days where I'm just like God, what am I doing? <laughs> Why do I have the audacity to think I can accomplish this? Who, who who gave me this, I don't know, who approved this plan? And I just have this like deep fear that someone is going to find me out that I'm a
1: fraud. When I start to type out my thoughts, I almost always go back and delete what I just wrote. <laughs> because I'm thinking, okay, that's not good enough. Uh, it's not original enough or I start to imagine how other people will call me out for not knowing what the hell I'm talking about.
2: I constantly struggle with the idea of whether or not we are different enough to stand out. You just keep waiting because you think you have all this time and then little by little that time is siphoned off um, with other tasks, with other things. And oftentimes, I feel like it's because I'm afraid of whatever the task is. So whatever the task is that I'm afraid of, I always put those last. And I'm always like, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'm afraid. I'll get to it.
1: I physically feel seized up in my body. Like I feel the sense of paralysis of, of an inability to move forward because of fear that I'm just saying the same thing as everyone else. And I'm not adding anything valuable and I'm not adding anything, adding anything original.
2: I sign up for all sorts of things. I'll be taking multiple courses at the same time. Um, I've got, you know, commitments to create content across all these different channels and have the best intentions. But the follow through ends up suffering because there's just too many burners. There's just too many things on my plate. And by the time the weekends would hit, I was just like, how am I going to pull this off? Do I
1: tap out? It was like do an I intense level take of. Take the fear foot off the gas. Do I just, that creeps just in
2: coast a little when bit? When I start
1: to write, I didn't really know it's like happened. that fear and judgment of the words that I write that once published, I won't be able to take back in case it's wrong. Or in case I'll make all the, the plans the and I'll, and I'll be, I'll have worked through have the, the logistics problem. of how to do something, but I'm just I'm so afraid to do the thing itself, like I'm so paralyzed.
2: Now I know I'm not delivering the best possible product, or the best possible result, so that doesn't feel good. Uh, it's a feeling of burden Yeah, I still struggle with procrastination. Um, It takes any momentum or flow or freedom, I feel, to try stuff out. And it asks me how I could bear to enjoy creating such unpolished or unsophisticated work.
0: Creative people often find themselves in the gap. And I don't mean the store. Although, sure, why not? I have no horse in that race. The Gap is an idea made famous by Ira Glass, host of This American Life. It's an idea we've explored on this show quite often. When you create things, your taste far exceeds your skills. And so there's a gap. And the only way to get through the gap, according to Ira Glass, is to ship a lot of work. In other words, you can imagine better work than you're capable of creating. What you can picture far exceeds your skills. And so you have to develop those skills. You have to ship a lot of work. We all face this gap, and the only way to the other side is to go through it, to slog it out, sometimes for years. Hold on, check that. Always for years. That's just what a career is, I think. We get closer and closer to matching what was in our heads every time we ship, but then what's in our heads gets more ambitious, or our tastes simply change. And so maybe there's actually no closing the gap. There's no getting to the other side. The work is just constantly unfolding in the slog. In the space between the skills we possess and the work we can picture right now. So there we go again, trying to do the seemingly impossible. To close that gap between what you can picture and what you can actually create. And since we love the work and we're optimists, we go happily. We're hopeful. We like it there inside the gap between us and the mountain peak. Muddy terrain? No worries. Twisting vines and tangled bushes? We're fine. We enjoy hacking away. That's what explorers do. We venture forth. But at the same time, we know, lurking in the jungle, trouble awaits. We've heard the stories. We've talked to fellow explorers. We saw the wooden sign when we began this exploration. A few claw marks ripping across the faded letters. Here be monsters. Not orcs or dragons, not lions or tigers or bears, but imposter syndrome and writer's block and analysis paralysis. Oh my. We started our episode today by kind of hovering above the jungle, hearing the voices of so many explorers hacking away through it, trying to close the gap, trying to get to that mountain peak on the other side and meeting their own maker monsters along the way. But now we're going to dive down below the tree line to meet two creative people who both share experiences with the same monster.
1: I would say I battle a number of different maker monsters, but the one that has most consistently come up throughout my life and that I am dealing with regularly now is definitely perfectionism.
0: That's Lizzie Peabody. She's the host and producer of the podcast Side Door, as well as a storytelling teacher and coach. Side Door is a narrative show, much like this one, which is run by the Smithsonian. According to the show's site, quote, More than 155 million treasures fill the Smithsonian's vaults. But where the public view ends, Side Door begins. With the help of biologists, artists, historians, archaeologists, zookeepers, and astrophysicists, host Lizzie Peabody sneaks listeners through the Smithsonian's side door to search for stories that can't be found anywhere else. End quote. Lizzie's an accomplished and very visible creative person. She could be forgiven for deciding to coast for a while, or maybe to just shape the next episode of the show to be similar to the last one. But she's still battling the monster known as perfectionism.
1: So I host and produce a podcast that comes out every two weeks, and it feels like every two weeks, my task is to produce a show that represents everything that I am capable of as a person, like my the fullest expression of my potential. And that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself, like to reset the clock every two weeks. And for some reason, it, it just feels like nothing I've done before matters. It's like you can look behind you and see two years worth of shows that some of which are really good and that I'm actually really, really proud of. And uh, but it, it doesn't matter because it's only the most recent thing you make that represents what you're capable of. So like if I don't if this isn't the best thing I've ever made, then I have failed. And probably that means that I will never make anything good again. And the trajectory is like all downhill from here.
0: Our next voice is Tucker Bryant. Tucker recently left a job in marketing at Google to pursue a career as a keynote speaker and independent creator. He's a poet and a spoken word artist, and he wants to apply his art to the working world. His battle with perfectionism forces him to confront a troubling tension between the craft and the play, the slog and the fun.
2: I think perfectionism is kind of what happens when the gap between... What I want to be able to create and what I actually do create or just think I can create stops me from shipping my work or from creating altogether. I think it's the belief that some art is not worthy of creation and it's an over-indexing on the crafting element of creativity at the expense of the emotional and imaginative and playful experience of making stuff Um, physically you know that feeling when you hit a breakthrough in your work and you become inspired by what you're creating and you can tell that you're going to fall in love with the finished version of what you make and and the thought of sharing it with the world just makes you feel excited and joyful I'd say that it feels like the opposite of that you know I'm super familiar with the feeling of starting a particular line or creating or crafting a certain image and then getting three or four more lines down the page and then hearing this voice in my head just go, wait, 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 hold on. Are you sure you're okay with the way you put that? Like, is that really good enough for you or for the people you want to impress? And then I'll kind of abandon the idea I was exploring in real time and go back and scrutinize whatever I had just put out there ruthlessly. And all of a sudden, we've shifted from abundance mindset to scarcity mindset, and there's no way out.
0: Scarcity mindset means you view things like a pie. There's only so much to go around, and you want to get a slice. Ideally, a bigger slice. And if somebody else takes a big piece, that leaves less for you. There's a phrase that comes to mind that might define A certain selfishness, a certain scarcity mindset in the way some people work. I'm gonna get mine. You hear that a lot in basketball, which I played growing up, where a player decides they want to score enough points to look good, often to the detriment of others or any team goals that they have, like winning. Scarcity mindset and abundance mindset are terms first coined by author Stephen Covey in his famous book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, published in 1989. A scarcity mindset might mean that you get jealous when others succeed or you compete in ways that create toxic cultures or in ways that are toxic to your own thinking and mental well-being. Others are winning while you're losing. It can't be both. You're competing for pieces of a finite pie. Then there's abundance mentality. You view things as, well, there's enough out there for everybody, And we should actually celebrate each other's success or at very least not worry about it as we're not trying to compete for the same finite pie and get a bigger slice. I like to think of this as being an eater versus a baker. If you're an eater, your only option is to get a slice of the pie before others do, ideally a bigger one, and cram it into your pie hole. If you're a baker, you can just bake your own pie. You can focus on what you have, understanding the ingredients and what you can do with your skill set and your vision instead of focusing on pushing others aside to get yours. Scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset. Are you capturing a slice of the pie or growing the pie or bake your own pie? Now, if you'll excuse me, I need a snack.
1: There was a sort of a moment this winter that was particularly helpful for me when it comes to battling this Monster, and it came after I had produced a really, really challenging episode. It was a, it was an episode that dealt with issues of race and you know the legacy of racism in America and racial identity and tribal identity. It, it was a, a story that had to do with um, Native American identity, and so it was really challenging on every level from, from the standpoint of, you know, telling a story that involves a community that you're not a part of. And how do you make sure that you are, you know, even though you're the host, you are getting out of the way and not being the voice, um, to like, just from a a fact checking and historical accuracy standpoint, it's a history that was really, really convoluted and difficult to tease out and not well-documented. And, and Different experts had conflicting versions, so that was that was challenging. Making sure we got the history correct, um, and then there was just the the weight of feeling like I had one shot to tell the story well, and people had trusted me with their personal stories and their their work and their voices, and it was really up to me to put them all together in the very best. Possible version of this story, the the absolute pinnacle of what you could do with the voices and the and the pieces that I had. So a lot of pressure, and it, I lost a lot of sleep, um, and I was really fearful of getting something wrong, and it, it just really kind of kicked the stuffing out of me.
2: This time last year, it was the earlier stages of the pandemic. And I was noticing how often the topic of escape had been coming up in my life, you know, whether it was people wanting to escape our global predicament or me finding escape in fond childhood memories or me wanting to, you know, escape my job or whatever it was, right? Um, So I kind of decided to set out to create this collection of poetry centered around the theme of escaping. And I sat down on my couch, which was, you know, bathed in this gorgeous mid-afternoon San Francisco sun. I make myself a cup of tea and I just feel so ready and so cozy and I have this grand plan of getting scores of poems out by the end of the year that would present this like geniusly nuanced idea of how escapism serves us but also undermines our experience in times like these and and I was so excited for people to see this really complex take on this thing that we all experience in different ways and I start to write just by jotting down some stream of consciousness thoughts that were related to ideas I've been chewing on for days, you know, since I'd first come up with this project. But then I start to write a real quote-unquote poem, and immediately, as soon as I venture into this new territory or territory that feels like what the final product is supposed to look like, I find that I'm focusing on everything that feels not right about what's coming out of my pen. And that excitement and energy I felt when I was jotting those ideas down, it just stops in their tracks. And now instead of writing, I'm just imagining the finished product of this collection, and I can see before my eyes all these awkward, inarticulate, and uninspired poems that I'm ashamed to look back at. And all of a sudden, it just feels impossible to keep going. Um, I've struggled with a substance abuse disorder for many years, but this was happening at a time before I really had the language to name that as something that I experience. Um so as was kind of customary back then for me to use as a coping mechanism i just turn to my collection of opioids you know I, i i pop a couple of pills there and and kind of act as though that's going to help me loosen my mind so to speak and make it easier for me to to create without stopping myself or filtering myself but i knew that that wasn't what was actually going to happen? Um, instead, I I get high, I start feeling really good. I put down my journal, and then I go back to just basking in the mere thought of what my dream collection looks like. And in my doped up head, everything is warm, and all the jagged edges of my writing feel a lot softer and i don't touch the idea for that collection for the rest of the day or ever again and because i never get to actually find out what i would have written if i had gone through with it It stays as perfect as it was in my head forever. Yeah, the monster definitely beat me in that occasion.
1: So I just decided, like, my goal was going to be to care as little as possible. like just for this next one I was like I'm gonna do something that you know I'm just I'm basically gonna phone it in my challenge is to phone it in and I'm gonna care as little as possible and I'm gonna do the minimal amount of research that I can possibly do to tell the story responsibly I'm not gonna talk to every person I could on the topic I'm not gonna read every book I'm gonna read parts of this one book (laughs) <laughs> and i'm going to do as little work as possible. and so at different moments in making that story like there were there were sort of like pangs of that old feeling like i'm not doing this justice i'm not being responsible i'm not and then i had to remind myself that like my definition of success here was to not give my body and soul to the story. it kind of turned my thinking upside down. that I changed my measure of success, essentially. So success for me would mean not getting invested on an emotional and sort of like full body level to let go of perfection and to just make a story. And I did, actually. It was fun.
2: It's important to try to learn not to see your quote-unquote bad art as a sign of your failure. I don't think the goal should ever be for everything you create to be as amazing as it could be in order to to justify its existence to yourself. More so than that, it should be about being open to this blessing that we have as creatives to facilitate these conversations between ourselves and the entire friggin' universe that we inhabit using our art as the vehicle for that conversation. I like to think of it like when we nurture a relationship with someone we love, we don't hold it to them to provide mind-blowing revelation in every single conversation we ever have with them.
1: To think about how how little of how I feel about them and the value that they hold in my life has anything to do with what they make or like what they... Accomplish professionally or how they perform at a given thing.
2: We recognize implicitly that it's the other 99% of the time we spend with those people that actually build the incredible bonds that we we cherish with them
1: because ultimately i think the perfectionism when you really strip it back to what what's at the base is this sense of like i need to do this so that people will love me or so that i will be accepted
2: and i guess it just feels strange to me that so many of us would ever approach a craft that we love in such a different way and with so much less forgiveness
1: i am not what i make You are not what you make. That really helps me to keep in mind. Um, You are many, many, many things, and what you create is just one aspect of the whole thing that is you. Um, But it is not all of you. So that, I think, is very freeing.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I have a bonus bit of truly amazing, hysterical audio to play for you in just a bit. But first, the closing credits. Special thanks to all of our voices today. You will hear more in future episodes from some of the voices you heard at the very beginning in that chorus or collage of voices. But a huge thank you to the two featured voices today, Lizzie Peabody and Tucker Bryant. You can check out Lizzie's podcast, Side Door, wherever you listen to your shows, and you can learn more about Tucker's speaking and spoken word art at TuckerBryant.me. This episode was a collaborative effort between me and producer Alana Nevins. If you had any thoughts or questions about this episode, email me, j at unthinkablemedia.com. I'm also at jayacunzo on Twitter. As an independent creator, I rely on the support of listeners like you. Every time you share the show, leave a review, or purchase a book or course from my website, I'm able to continue making Unthinkable and keep it free to find and enjoy. So thank you so much for your support. I literally couldn't do this show without you, yes, you, taking an active role in sharing, reviewing, and supporting. If you're looking for an easy first step, subscribe to my free weekly newsletter. Every Friday, I share a new story about the same ideas we explore here. What does it take to make resonant work? That's every Friday in my newsletter. Visit jayaconzo.com to subscribe or check your show notes for the link. And now, the aforementioned amazing, hysterical, not at all overhyped thing that I talked about earlier. Here's the deal. As producer Alana Nevins and I were working on this episode, our perfectionism began to kick into high gear. See, Lizzie Peabody had given us too much good stuff. In particular, this one little moment that we absolutely loved just didn't fit the flow of the story we were telling, but it was so good that we agonized over it, like we were trying to make this too perfect. And I'm talking like 20 or 30 comments back and forth before eventually we just called each other and we were like, hey, how do we resolve this? And so what we decided to do was drop that moment at the very end of the episode right here as some bonus goodness for you. So here it is that final moment from Lizzie Peabody. Trust me, you do not want to miss the very last part of this. It is, uh, it's not what you expect. Here we go.
1: I couldn't like fall back asleep. My brain was just on. And he was, he said, would it help if I told you it doesn't matter? And it was like the most helpful thing he could have said because I mean ultimately it really doesn't matter. I mean, yes, your work matters and telling stories responsibly matters, and but but the extent to which you know you tie yourself up in knots, like ultimately in the big picture, it doesn't really matter that much. And so he wrote me a song called the It Doesn't Matter song that I sing to myself in my head more often than I would like to admit and um I guess this is the moment when I'm supposed to sing it to you because this is audio and I know that if you were sitting here right now you'd be like can you sing it okay papa does it matter it doesn't matter does it matter papa it doesn't matter does it matter papa it doesn't matter at all does it matter it doesn't matter does it matter no It doesn't matter. Does it matter? No, it doesn't matter at all. Something like that.
0: (laughs) Until next time, keep battling your maker monsters and keep making what matters. See ya.